Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Amen. Let's pray to keep the AC pumping. That's the most important thing. No, it's not the most important thing. But yeah, let's pray to keep, keep the AC on. You know, that always reminds me of, um, I've heard stories of mission trips where people go to other countries and our church has gone to Haiti before. Um, I wasn't on that trip, but I have heard of stories there where their place of worship and their church could be like a little hut in the middle of the island. And it's not as glamorous and as luxurious as we are in here today. There's no AC. There is, um, some of them don't even have doors or windows. Some of them are just tents. And the ground is literally dirt. But they have chairs set up there. And everyone is in their suits, wearing their best on a Sunday. And these people actually travel from the top of the mountains to come to church. So they'll wake up early, and it's about a four to five hour drive on a bus that has no AC either, and they travel four to five hours to get to church on a Sunday. But sometimes we have trouble getting here at 10 a.m. I'm not calling anybody out because I have had trouble sometimes getting here at 10. But then I look at the faithfulness of these people, man. And wow, what a blessing. So what a blessing. Thank God that we're able to be here today. And we have these walls and we have this AC. And to be honest, it's because of you guys. It's because of the faithfulness of the church and your giving. So these seats that you're sitting in, this microphone that I have, the screen behind me, it's because of your faithfulness. So man, I encourage you, please continue to be faithful to God, uh, to what he's calling you to do, and in giving. That way these things could be possible. Amen. Can we give the Lord the greatest praise here today? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So man, it's, it's great to be here with you guys again. Um, as we continue to take a look at the book of Romans, last time we were together, we went over Romans chapter 8, and we did verses 1 through 17. And we had such a powerful time um, through these verses and in the book of Romans, and today we're going to continue that. Today we're doing verses 18 through 28, and Paul really begins to outline here the answer to the corruptible problem that man has, and that is sin. And back in chapter 7, if you remember, he spoke a lot on the wretchedness of our hearts and how we continue to do things that we don't want to do and that we're not capable of doing the right things. But as we saw in the beginning part of Romans chapter 8, Paul now shows what the answer is and, and that we no longer need to live in a state of condemnation because of the works of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So just for a quick recap for those who weren't here last time, uh, chapter 8 began very powerful. If you remember chapter 8, Paul starts with one of the most impactful verses of Scripture. Many of you may know it. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1, just for the recap, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And a whole preaching can be done on that one verse alone. And this, whole, this verse really holds so much power behind it because it opens up the door for guilty sinners not to be condemned if they are followers of Christ. And it's powerful, and we don't need to walk in shame or guilt anymore because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And as he said in this verse, we are no longer condemned. There's therefore now no condemnation. Then Paul reminds us in verse 5, on what we are to set our minds on. If you remember, verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So as believers, we, we, you know, we, we try not to live for things of the world. You know, you remember when we start living for things of this world, they could ultimately bring forth things that are contrary to God. And that's why Paul really harps on this. For us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, to walk in the ways of the Spirit. And in Galatians, if you remember, he says not to gratify the desires of the flesh. Because if we're walking in the Spirit, 
we will not gratify those desires. And last time we ended with this verse, with Paul speaking about what the Holy Spirit does within the life of a believer. And verse 16 and 17, last time we were here, it says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And remember this last part here. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Remember that part because we're going to visit it again in a moment. So you see the Holy Spirit is confirming in us what we are and who we belong to. The work of the Spirit in our lives by far is the most powerful force that's going to direct us in our walk. Because the Spirit does several things for us. He directs our walk, but something so important, He also convicts our hearts. So I pray and I hope that you guys have conviction in your hearts. Because that's a sign that the Spirit of God dwells within you. If your heart begins to be convicted in certain things. So great study. It was a great study, verses 1 through 17. And today, like I said, we're going to be diving into verses 18 through 28. So if you have your Bible... You could turn there now. I'm going to read through the text really quick uh, so we can have the word stirring in our minds and our hearts. And if you could give me an amen when you're there. All right, amen. And just in case anybody wants to know, I'm reading from the ESV, but any translation will be fine. So Paul starts off, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know... That the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope... For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Let's come into prayer. Lord God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for this text, Lord, for this scripture here that Paul is, is, is giving us, Lord God. Inspired by your Holy Spirit, Lord God. So, Lord, we, we pray for you, Holy Spirit, to come and, and help us translate, Lord. And, and help us dive deep into this and, and interpret this text correctly, Lord God. So, Lord, I remove myself from here today, and Holy Spirit, that you just have full control. So we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, and together we say yes and amen. Awesome. There's so much great information in here today to dissect. And I hope that we can receive what Paul is speaking uh, to us so we can grow and be edified in his word. So, you know, the ending of verse 17, the one I told you to keep handy, is, is really powerful. And it could really speak to a lot of things uh, to us. And it speaks a lot about suffering. And verse 17 says this, And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, remember I told you, remember this part, and I, I underlined it here. It says, Provided that we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And we really see all throughout Scripture that there's really two parts of a believer's life. And maybe you guys have experienced this. I'm pretty sure everyone in here has experienced this. There's suffering and then there's glory. And that's not to say that we're always going to live life here in suffering. But there will be points in our lives that we will be hurting. And that's how Jesus' life was. He suffered and then he was glorified. And listen, nobody wants to go through the suffering part. 
I don't want to go through the suffering part. I don't want to go through trials. I don't want to go through hardships. Who wants to suffer? Nobody wants to suffer. But I've learned something in my suffering that it's necessary. It's necessary. And, and you know what? You guys may be looking at me and be like, wait, wait, what do you mean suffering is necessary? It's necessary because the suffering is what has built character. It's what has built endurance. It has built faith. And all of these things have allowed me to what? To persevere, to push forward, and to be strengthened. I don't know if you remember last week, Pastor Regal spoke on this and on the spiritual warfare that believers go through. What a powerful word. And I encourage you to listen to last week's preaching. So how do you get prepared for battle unless you go through the training? Is anybody here a veteran or in the military? You don't have to lift your hand, but I know there's somebody here. And I, it's okay. It's good. I see you. I see you, Liz. It's all good. How do you get prepared to go to the military or to a battle if you haven't been through the training? You can't say, okay, I'm signing up today and I want to be a Navy SEAL, but it's okay. You have, you've never carried a rifle in your life, but we're going to send you to the depths of Afghanistan. You're going to the mountains in Iraq, although you've never trained for it before. You don't know how to load the magazine into the rifle. You don't know how to put on your, your armored vest. You don't know what the helmet looks like. There has to be a training. You have to be prepared to go into battle. And in the life of a believer, you get prepared for battle by the trials that you experience. That's what it is. Our trials are our training ground. And that's a good thing. It's good to go through the trial. It's good to go through the fire because that's where refinement happens. You get refined in the fire. I always think about a sword, and I've preached this here before. What is a sword? It's just a piece of steel. Before it becomes a sword, it's a weird-looking long piece of steel. But what happens? The blacksmith gets the sword. And how does it start becoming a sword? It begins to get beaten. He takes the hammer and boom, over and over again, the sword, that piece of steel begins to get beaten. It gets thrown into heat. And in the heat, it gets beaten again because it's starting to get molded. And after enough beating and after enough fire, you have a finished product that is amazing. A beautiful steel, a beautiful sword ready for battle. The believer's life is the same. We're going to go through the, through the training grounds. We're going to go through the suffering. But it's because of the, the heat that we're in. It's because of the training that we're going through that is going to prepare us for the battle that is ahead. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Look at 1 Peter verse 5. I'm sorry. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10. Look what, look, look what it says here. And the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ... After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The Bible is clear. We are going to suffer, but we're not left there. The suffering is to produce something great in us. And sometimes we get to the point where we ask ourselves, man, is this suffering worth it? Is what I am enduring is this worth it? Should I keep serving God because I don't see his hand in my suffering? Is this worth it? All right, let's start the message. Verse 18. Look what Paul writes. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And listen, we could talk about suffering, okay? And everyone suffering in here is different. But I can tell you this, that Paul is a man that is qualified to speak on these things. Because Paul knows suffering. Look what he's faced. He's faced sickness, imprisonment, sleepless nights, hunger, poor. Paul didn't own anything. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked three times. He was bitten by a snake. He was persecuted. He was stoned. He was whipped. And then he was martyred and killed. What a life of an apostle. Giving your life for the cause of Jesus. And look how his life went. Look at all the sufferings that he endured. Paul experienced great suffering. The same way that many of us have suffered. 
Maybe we didn't suffer like Paul suffered, but nonetheless, everyone in here has suffered to one extent or another. We've all gone through our things. Maybe we've had sicknesses. Maybe we've lost a loved one. Maybe we've had an addiction. We've had anxieties. We've had depression. Some of us have financial troubles. Some of us have marital problems. Maybe some of us have been beaten. Some of us have been in prison. Our suffering, although they may look different than others, are still sufferings that we've endured. They're still sufferings. And in all of these things, look what Paul says, that they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's a bold statement. That's a very bold statement. All of these things put together, they don't even come close to what God has prepared for us. That's why Paul says it. I'll take the shipwreck, let the snakes bite me, I'll take the beatings, let them throw stones, because I know what awaits me. It's hope in glory. Hope in glory. So for us, I'll take the bad diagnosis. I'll take the financial hardships. I'll take that I lost my job. I'll take being hungry. I'll take my family problems. I'll take the broken relationships. Why? Because none of these things are worth comparing what God has prepared for me. We go to verse 19, and look what he says. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And we read this, and we're like, this is kind of weird. Why? Why is creation waiting eagerly why are we longing for this and what's the mystery behind it and paul says it here in the next verse in verse 20 for the creation was subjected to futility and the meaning of futility is pointlessness and meaningless so for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Look at some of the words that Paul's using here. Futility, bondage, corruption. The world was subjected to these things because of the fall of man. And sin entered the world, and sin corrupted things that were pure, and made slaves to the things that were once free. And because of the fall of Adam, now the whole world falls under this curse. Sin has come in, and it's just destroyed everything. Things that were in order are now out of order. And he says that these things didn't happen willingly. They happened because of sin. And in verse 22, this is, this is what he says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... And catch this part. But we, he's talking about the Christians, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So it's not just the world that's groaning. It's not just the world that's in pain. It's it's us. It's the believers in Christ as well. And we're groaning because we have gotten a taste of what freedom is. And we eagerly Await the day when our salvation is going to be completed. You guys remember when you first came to the Lord? That moment that you got saved? You remember that day? The feeling of freedom? It was a spirit giving you a taste of what is to come. So that's why we stay focused and we keep chasing the things of the kingdom because we know what awaits us. Our old body is going to be redeemed. There's going to be no more sickness. I always remember this. Like somebody said, oh, do you wear glasses in heaven? No, there's no glasses in heaven. You're not going to be wearing glasses in heaven. Your eyesight's going to be perfect. You're not going to have any paper cuts. You're going to be able to walk right. There's no limping. Your back's not going to hurt. You're going to be perfect. It always reminds me of Revelation 21. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Everything of this old world is going to be gone. That's why we groan here, because we know what awaits us, our full adoption. And we eagerly await these things. That's why Paul says that we have the first fruit of the Spirit. We're the ones who have tasted this first. Have you guys ever tried off-brand soda? You guys remember that brand RC or Czech? Listen, there's no, listen, some, some of us, we grew up with a struggle, man. That's all we could afford. Like, it's RC and check, and, and that's what we had. 
But you remember the first time trying Coke? It's like the best thing ever. Right? You try real Coke, and don't get me started if you've tried real Coke in a glass bottle. That's like life-changing. That's mind-blowing. Real Coke, a nice Coke in a glass bottle. That will change your world. Coming from RC now to drinking real Coke is two really different things. It's different stuff. Because when we try the real Coke, we, we don't want RC anymore, right? We don't want Czech anymore because we tasted the real one. And there's nothing better than the real one. There's nothing that you could compare it to. We're not going to go back to the old stuff because the new stuff is just so good. And if you try the old stuff after trying the new stuff, it just leaves like a weird taste in your mouth. It's not the same. Like your mind doesn't compute it correctly. It's kind of, it is Coke, but it's not Coke. There's something weird here. And as sons of God, we've tasted the truth and we no longer want what the world offers because it doesn't taste good. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't fill you. It doesn't satisfy you. It leaves you empty wanting more because it never satisfies. And that's what sin does. Sin will leave you empty, just wanting more, because it never satisfies. That's why, before I, I came to know Jesus, I was, we could ask my wife, I was one that was always going to clubs. You guys remember club space? I know, okay, so I know, you guys remember because you're like, yeah, okay. Club space, we've had two discussions about that. Club space, I was the weirdest guy. If you would have seen me before, you could ask my wife. I, both my ears were pierced. I had these big black things. It was, I was weird, man. I was one of these like, uh, what is it called? I used to love house music and stuff that comes with that. It's not good stuff. Okay, I used to like how, I used to like all these things. And I will get to club space at 5 in the morning. It was called the after hours terrace party. What this crazy stuff, man. It's crazy. So I will wake up at four, and I go, I'm ready to go. And the first time, like, I, me and my wife went, and she's like, we're going at what time? At four in the morning? Yeah, she's like, that is weird. That's the scene that I was into, okay? I liked club space. So what happens? Why am I saying this? I kept chasing that every single weekend because I was never satisfied. I would wake up Saturday morning, Wanting more of that and more and more and more and more. I want more club space and more of the things that that brings. And I want more. And I'm never filled. I want more of the world had to offer because it never satisfied and it never filled me until I met Jesus. The second that you have an encounter with Christ, you are fully satisfied. And you are full with the Spirit that he has given you. Now the things of the world no longer satisfy you. You don't have to raise your hand. Have you guys ever been to close space? So, so that's what happens. And we're not going to go back to that. We're not going back to those things. Because it, that's what it is. It's Jesus the one that fills us. He's the one that satisfies. And now we eagerly await our full adoption. We want the fullness of God and what he has prepared for us. It's what I said. We're not going back to the things that don't fill us. We've tasted the fakeness of the world. We've tasted the fake RC soda. But man, we want that Coke in a glass bottle now. Because we know what tastes good. And this is the truth. We want the truth of Jesus because the truth of Jesus does what? It sets us free. We want the living water, the water that will never make us thirst again. And we've gotten a taste of it because we are the first fruits of the Spirit. That's what Paul says here in the Scripture. We're the first fruits because you've tasted and you've seen the goodness of the Lord. And now we go to verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The hope, listen, the hope is ours. We have the hope. If it's been given to us and we see it, then what do we have to hope for? Hope is placed where? Hope is placed in the unseen. 
And we're not hoping, listen, we're not hoping for things that are myths. We're not hoping for things that are fairy tales or legends. But we hope in things that are rooted in the truth. And Hebrews 11 really has a good outline of this. And Hebrews 11, 1 says this. Now faith is what? It's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So hope and faith really go hand in hand here. Your faith is a settled confidence. That something in the future, something that God has promised, will actually come to pass because God can make it happen. So in this hope, we are saved. We're hope in the unseen. And look what he says now in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know to pray what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings to the forwards. So there's something very interesting here about this verse. The original Greek scriptures, the beginning part of the verse, it says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. Follow me here. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. Now, the word in is actually not even in the Greek text. It says that the Spirit helps our weaknesses. And this reads quite different. It takes the word in out of it. Because when you say in our weakness, it kind of sounds like, okay, the Spirit only comes when I'm weak, only in the times that I fall. That's what it reads like. So the original Greek text, uh, scriptures doesn't have the word in. So Paul is not saying that we have an occasional time of weakness. That's not what he's trying to say. He says that we live in a constant state of weakness. So therefore, the Spirit is always at work in us. And so we're going to go through certain seasons in our life. Okay, everyone's going through certain seasons. And sometimes we feel very weak. And those times we cry out to the Lord and ask Him, Lord, God, help us. I, I, I'm feeling weak here, Lord. And then other times we're, we're riding high on life. And when we seem not to pray as much and we don't, Ask the Spirit to continue to help us in a season where we continue to ride high. And we think that the Spirit only comes or, or only shows up when we're feeling a certain way, but that's not how God works. He doesn't operate like that. We, we sometimes treat it like a genie. Let me rub my lamp and, Lord, I'm feeling kind of weak right now. Spirit, come and help me. That's not the way the Spirit works. He's not Jehovah genie. Let me call on you and get my three wishes. That's not what it is. He's not Jehovah God. Lord, let, let, let me pull out my insurance card when my life gets wrecked. He's not an insurance that we have. And then we ask God, Lord, why did you allow all this wreckage in my life? Well, maybe it's because the Spirit took a back seat because you weren't calling on Him when you were supposed to. And then we pray and we ask God for help and we ask, man, where have you been? And maybe God whispers to you, man, I let you take the wheel because you thought you had things figured out. Man, what a gracious God we serve. Because even in our arrogance, even when we think that we have everything under control, he still steps in to deliver us. Thank God for that. He still steps in. You know that saying, me and my wife say this all the time. You know, like we always say, man, humans don't deserve dogs. I don't know if you have a dog. Like, man, we don't deserve dogs. We always say that because dogs are always loyal. They're obedient to their masters, and they submit to the owner's authority. I mean, if you have a well-trained dog, if you have like a little chihuahua, that's crazy. It's... And no offense if you have a chihuahua. I know, I'm, like, listen, I love, I love dogs. I love chihuahuas. But if you have a dog that's just nuts, it's because you haven't instilled the obedience in it. Right? God instills the obedience in us in the life of a believer. But as humans, we don't deserve dogs, man. We really don't. And this is a hard statement. You know, humans don't deserve God. We don't deserve God because we've rebelled against Him. We've done everything in opposition to what He has asked. You know, if God were to send every single person on this earth here today to hell, He'd be just in doing it. A hundred percent just in sending us there. But what a great and merciful God we have who is quick to forgive. 
He's quick to forgive. The wrath that we deserve was put on Jesus on the cross at Calvary, and he took our punishment, and he took our sin, and he took our shame. And the scripture says that if we repent and put our faith and trust in him, then you will be saved. That is the mercy of God. That is grace at his finest. Do you know why? Because that's the gospel. That is what the gospel is, that we are unworthy but through Christ, we are made worthy. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Amen? And now Paul goes on to say, where else the Spirit helps us in, which is prayer. And look at, look at the verse again. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for, intercedes for us with groanings for words too deep. That last part is powerful. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And this is really encouraging to many of us that struggle with prayer. Sometimes we're just so desperate that we just, like, we don't know things to, to speak. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say. The trial is great. The hurt is so deep. We have no idea what to tell the Lord. And we don't know how to pray as we ought. I mean, like, listen, we know how to pray, but are we praying correctly? Are we praying correctly? And it's really in those moments where the Spirit steps in. And the words that we cannot find, it says what? That He intercedes for us. We could pray. We could look at the situation before us. And we do it with the human mind. But the Spirit comes in and, and the Spirit helps us to pray as we ought to pray. Listen, God knows every single need that, that we have before we ever even come to him. He knows everything that's going on with us. He knows every single detail of the, of, of the circumstance. And sometimes in those needs, we ask for things incorrectly or, or with a wrong motive. We pray from a fleshly state when we, really, when we pray for our will instead of God's will. And that's why the Spirit has to step in. Number one, to correct our heart by conviction. Remember, we talked about conviction earlier. And number two, to correct our prayer. So when the Spirit intercedes for us, it's something beyond words that we could actually speak. That's why the last part of the verse says it. It says, He's here to intercede with groanings too deep for words. And this could mean a couple different things. The gift of speaking in tongues could be described here in part of this passage. He says that he intercedes with groanings too deep for words. So it may not be words that we could actually understand. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. His mind doesn't understand it so that... The tongue that comes out, no one around him will understand it. Unless someone there is gifted in, in interpretation of tongues. So I don't know if you've ever been around someone that is speaking in another tongue. You're not going to understand what that means. Same as the person that is speaking it has no idea what tongue is coming out. That is the language that the Spirit may be speaking to God the Father. And that's why Paul says it. If I pray in a tongue, it's not him that's praying. It's his spirit that's praying. And he says that my mind is unfruitful because I can't comprehend what is going on here. But how amazing is this that the spirit will groan too deep for words that not even we will understand what is being spoken out of our own mouth. That is powerful. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it operates in a completely different way than you and me do. And in verse 27, look what he says. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is saying that the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit that dwells in you, God already knows what that Spirit is groaning for. And it intercedes for us and is doing it according to God's will. The Spirit prays on our behalf for the will of God. Not for our will, not for our desires, but for the glory of the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Spirit is praying for. So that's powerful stuff. And know that position of the Spirit in your life. Because the Spirit that you possess is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And sometimes we take that so lightly. We're like, man, 
The Spirit is powerful. And the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that dwells in me. Sometimes that's hard to believe, but that's what Scripture says. And if we're believing Scripture, we have to take these things to heart. This is real. Th- this, is, this is what God is saying. And now we get to verse 28. This has to be probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Many of us probably have it as a magnet on our fridge, right? We have it scripted somewhere. It's a, very powerful, it's a very powerful verse. And we use this verse for like almost every situation. And with reason. I can see why we do it. It's powerful and it's encouraging. And there has been messages preached on this one verse alone. So we need to take a deep look to see what this says. It's Romans 8.28. It's very powerful. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. How many times haven't you guys used this? I've used it. It's encouraging and it's powerful and there's so much truth behind it. But behind the power and the truth, it's a kind of strange verse if you really start to study it. And we use this verse when? Usually when we're going through a trial. When we're going through something hard. Like we'll tell somebody, hey, listen, don't worry. Everything is going to work together for the good. I've done that. A hundred times I've done that. And sometimes if you're the person going through the trial, it's kind of difficult to receive it. It's hard to receive it. Because sometimes when we're in the middle of things, we cannot see what good is going to come out of it. The worst of the worst can happen. And in that moment, all we see is the circumstance before us. So how am I not to worry about my cancer diagnosis and how is my cancer diagnosis going to work together for the good? Explain that to me, Christian. So you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I lost my job. My wife left me. My kids hate me. My loved ones are sick. I don't have a roof over my head. I don't know how I'm going to provide. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Things in my life are disastrous right now. And you're telling me that all things are going to work together for the good? Explain it to me. And we come to people and we tell them this. Don't worry. Everything is going to work together for the good. And let me ask you a question. And what happens when things don't end well? Then what? What happens when the person becomes homeless? What happens when the illness that person has kills them? What happens when everything you told them not to worry about doesn't get fixed? That's why we need to know the context of this verse very, very well. And what good is God talking about here? Let's start it. The first three words of this verse are, and we know. And we know. Already a very bold statement that Paul makes. Because let me tell you, there's not a lot of things that we know. And there's a lot of things that we're not certain of. And in verse 26, Paul said it. We don't know how we ought to pray. And we don't know why certain things happen to us. And some things are just so unexplainable. And we see it all throughout Scripture. This is everywhere. In the Old Testament, if you ever read the book of Habakkuk, he asked the Lord, Lord, why are these things happening? And if you remember, God told him, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing here because you wouldn't believe it. But we're constantly questioning Look at all the bad things that happened to Job. A faithful servant of God, he became sick, his family dies, and all his possessions are gone. Why do these things happen? How does that work together for the good? How is that working together? Every person that has been used by God in the Bible has gone through this. The university of adversity. There is not one person in the Bible that has not experienced adversity. There's no one in Scripture that has had smooth sailing. A lot of things are going to be unknown to us. I had a great conversation here with a brother. I'm just going to call him out. It's Gerson. Me and Gerson had a great conversation on this one verse. And he said something to me that was so powerful. And I'm going to quote what he said. He says this. The verse, this verse should not be applied in a way that we now think nothing bad will ever happen to us. But rather, the verse should be used 
to state that God is with us even when we cannot see it. When we cannot see things, they are unknown. It doesn't mean that God is not there. And Paul is starting this verse by saying, and we know because we are sure of this, that God loves us. And we know. We know this. God loves us. Remember this. Never abandon what you do know because of what you don't know. Okay? Never abandon what you do know because of what you don't know. We don't call it quits because of the unknown in our future. Because of all of us, if that was the case, all of us will quit in life. And none of us know what the future holds. A couple months ago, I preached this verse, James 4.14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then you vanish. We don't know. But we do know this. Look at the next part of the verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that bad things are not going to happen. We know that we're going to experience struggles here. We, we know that it doesn't say that God will keep us from bad things happening. That, that's not the truth, and that's not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that, but it, but it is saying this, that if you love God, everything is going to work together for the good of his glory. We only see the temporary. We only see the situation that we are facing right now, but there is purpose in the pain here there's purpose in the pain we may never understand it because we have just one piece of a puzzle and that's what the struggle is the struggle the trial the tribulation is a small little piece that we face and in that moment that is all that we see we can't see beyond it we don't see what's happening in the background we have a little piece not knowing that god has an entire portrait an entire picture that he has painted around it and we get so fixated on that little thing that's going on we get so fixated on what's right before me i'm one that's very anxious with with things my mind takes me to crazy places sometimes because i get so fixated on the little things when really i should be taking a step back and and listening to god's voice and listening to the word and saying man if you only knew what I was doing here, just like Habakkuk, Lord, why is this going on in my life? I'm not going to tell you why because you wouldn't even believe what I'm doing here. You're going to have to go through this. I'm training you up in a certain way because there's going to be things that you may face later on in life that you need to be prepared for. And if it wasn't for this trial that you are experiencing now today, how are you going to conquer the victories of tomorrow? I'm training you up for the battle. Pastor Rico spoke a lot about uh, spiritual warfare last week. It's being trained for the battle. Worship team, you can play if you like. But behind all of these things, there is a providential God that is moving all the pieces around to work together for the good. You guys might remember this story. Back in the 50s, there was a group of missionaries. Um... The main, not the main mission, but one of the guys, his name was Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott. And they went to Ecuador to do missionary work. They went into the jungles to preach the gospel to these indigenous tribes that were out there. Well, Jim and four other missionaries were killed by this tribe. They were speared. The tribe was extremely hostile to outsiders. So their sacrifice seemed like a total waste at the time. They did what God had called them to do, and they paid the ultimate price for it. So how did things work together for the good when Jim's and his friends were killed? Doing God's work. How are things working together for the good? They were looking at temporary things of the moment instead of looking at eternal rewards. God has purpose in that pain. And where's the reward there? Today, the majority of that tribe has converted to Christianity because of those missionaries. And I could picture Jim and the guy that speared him. He's no longer alive either. But he had converted to Christianity prior to dying. I could picture Jim and him up in heaven. Hey, bro. Yeah, you're the one that threw that spear right through my side. 
man, but look at the entire tribe. They're all saved. God was working things together for the good. I didn't see it. You didn't see it. I had a little piece of the puzzle right when I got speared. How can I believe? God, what have you done? I'm here to serve you and serve your people. God is saying you only have a little piece of the puzzle. A working thing, a greater good awaits. The entire tribe is saved because of the gospel that you spoke to them. You made an ultimate sacrifice and I turned it around for the good. It works for the good. And sometimes we don't understand the pain, but there is purpose in it. That's why I'm saying we have to interpret Romans 8.28 in the light of the internal, not in the temporary. It's the eternal glory that we know that all things work together for the good. And God is the one who defines good. And in our pain, we don't understand it because we're looking at the temporary only. I heard this quote once. God allows what he loves. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. If we remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, his brothers wanted to kill him because of jealousy. They ended up selling him as a slave. Joseph that gets accused of having an affair with Potiphar's wife. He's then thrown into prison. He was going to be killed in prison. He was facing real adversity. But then Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh and he becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt. And when that happens, all of his brothers and Joseph, they meet once again and listen to what Joseph tells them. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God turned things around for good. So sometimes bad things will happen to fulfill a greater purpose that lies ahead. And we're not going to know what that is because we only have a small piece, a small portion of the information. But God is working behind the scenes. He's working everything together. I read something interesting, and it has to do with this. Think about this. A kid one day was putting a puzzle together. And the son looks at the puzzle, and what he saw was big pieces and small pieces, light pieces and dark pieces. And he just couldn't do it. He couldn't put the puzzle together. He was so frustrated. And his dad came in, and his dad saw what was happening. And dad sat down, and he put the puzzle together in no time. So the son looks at dad, and he says, Dad, I don't get it. How can you do it? And I couldn't do it. And dad tells him, I knew what the picture was the entire time because I saw the front of the box. Son, you only saw the pieces. You didn't see the entire thing. I know what the picture is. God knows what the picture is. He sees the entire thing. We only see the pieces sometimes. And he's telling you, man, just take a second. Take a breath. I'm working things together for your good. Can you guys stand with me this morning? I know some of you here today are probably holding a very dark piece to your puzzle. Not knowing where it goes, not knowing why it doesn't fit, and you're living in constant frustration because of it, and you're probably asking God, God, why isn't this working? And he's trying to tell you that you only have a little piece. I have the whole picture. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for the good of those who are called according to this purpose. So if you are a believer here today, know that you are called. This scripture is talking about you. And if you are called, then God is working all things together for the good. So you have to leave here today asking yourself this. Am I okay with just having the small piece of the puzzle, knowing that God has the whole picture? Can you leave here today fully trusting Him? Can you leave here today fully surrendering your life to Him? Because is this right now, this moment, that the burden is not for you to carry, that you are not meant here today to live in defeat. And I know that the struggles in life are, are hard. I know the burden is very heavy to carry sometimes. And it gets overwhelming. And you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know where you're going to turn to. You don't know who you're going to speak to. You don't know what family is going to help you. 
You can't see beyond the sickness that you have. You can't see beyond the family troubles that you have. The financial issues, they just keep piling up. The issues within your marriage are not getting fixed. The problems with your kids just keep growing and growing. And problems just keep coming at every corner that you turn. And you forget we're only seeing a small piece of the puzzle because he's promising us that everything is going to work together for the good of those who love him. So I want to encourage you, church. I don't know what the struggle is, but know this. It's being worked together for your good and for the glory of God. And in due time, if you continue to do good, if you continue to persevere, you will see the fruits of your work. Yes and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Can we stretch out our arms today? Lord God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for this word, Lord God. Lord, because sometimes we just cannot see beyond the small little piece of information that we have. Lord, but you are all-knowing, and you are almighty, and you are all-powerful. And in due time, Lord God, you are the one that is moving every piece around. So we rest in that, Lord Jesus, that we don't have to carry our burdens anymore because of the victory that was won on the cross. We thank you, Lord. We leave here today, Father God, confident in you and what you have done and you alone. And because of that, I know that today's sorrows can be tomorrow's victory. We give you the greatest praise, Lord God. We give you all of the glory and all of the honor. And together, God's people say yes and amen. Give the Lord the greatest praise in here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope you guys have an amazing Sunday here.